This episode is sponsored by Milk and Honey. If you've been listening for a while, then you know we are huge fans of Milk and Honey. Milk and Honey is a female-founded and funded brand that began as a luxury day spa in Austin, Texas, and has since grown to include eight locations across Texas, Chicago, and Los Angeles, as well as a line of bath, body, and skincare born from the spa. Milk and Honey sources and uses the safest possible ingredients in both their spa treatments and product lines, which means both choosing organic and making thoughtful, informed choices on safe ingredients. Their online boutique also offers clean beauty products from top brands, including Osea Malibu, Virtue, Moon Juice, Supergoop, and more. You can save 20% at the Milk and Honey online boutique with code CWPODCAST. And from now through the end of the year, Milk and Honey has offered some exclusive specials for Courageous Wellness listeners to use at their spa locations. For any new or existing spa customers, you can save 20% on any spa service with code CWPODCAST. And as a special holiday treat, from now through the end of the year at Milk and Honey Brentwood or Milk and Honey Culver City, you can bring a friend to the spa and you'll both take 50% off your spa service at Milk and Honey with code CWBESTIE. You can find the link to book at the spa, shop online, and all the codes in our show notes on our Instagram link tree or website. CW Bestie saves 50% for you and a friend at the Los Angeles spa locations and CW podcast saves 20% online and at the spa for new and, and existing spa customers on any treatment through the end of the year. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys within wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s, and Erica went through a self-love journey, we created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are both certified integrative nutrition health coaches and together with our community are learning to live our most purposeful lives by sharing one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys and by talking about them, we aim to destigmatize the process. We want you to be your own health advocate, feel educated and informed on the latest in health and wellness and empower you to feel your absolute best. And because we want to bring forth a wide variety of stories, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect our own, but we hope the diverse and varied stories will empower you to make the best choices for your own life. So join us as we and our community share our Courageous Wellness. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Courageous Wellness. We have a wonderful episode for you this week with Heather Moyes, who's um a multidisciplinary athlete and uh, Olympian. And we got to have a wonderful conversation with her. She now does a lot of um, inspirational speaking. But before we get into that conversation, we're going to do our weekly updates and check-in. And yeah, Erica, what's going on with you? I know you have some kind of fun family news. Yes. Exciting personal updates. I I'm so excited. Last weekend, my brother got engaged to his girlfriend, partner of six years, 
And it was such an amazing celebration. She was so surprised and it was just such a fun celebration of love, which this Libra girl loves, but it was just really fun and to celebrate with family and to be there. And I got to support, um, I was like part of the ruse to get her to where she needed to go. And, um, I was, I've never been more nervous to make a phone call in my life. And, um, yeah, it was just really fun. And, you know, a lot of things in life, like it's surprises don't come very often. And she was so surprised and it went exactly the way he planned it, which is also things that like never happen. Um, and it was lovely and I love her very much. And she's been a part of our lives for six years and my brother and I are four and a half years apart. So he's, he's a little bit younger, you know, four, four years is like a, it's not a generation, but you know, it's young enough where like we weren't in high school together. So he's kind of always been the baby. And so it was just a really, it was really special and it was really special to celebrate. And we've continued this week and this weekend celebrating with family and friends. And it's just, it's just been lovely. So that's kind of my big update for the week is, you know, uh, my little brother got engaged to a wonderful, wonderful human. And um, I'm excited to have a new sister in the family and yeah, celebrate love. And it was just really nice. So that's Aww, kind of, congrats. Yeah. <laughs> congrats to them. That's really yeah. exciting. And um, yeah, that's always so fun, you know, to have that to celebrate. Um, What about you? What's going on with you this week? I am, I'm going in for a quick, quick, quick trip to New York City um, with my fam. And I haven't been since pre-pandemic. Honestly, I think the last time I went was with you at the end, like fall of 2019. And, um, which is crazy because I'm from that area and I grew up part of the time in New York city and it's, it's probably the longest I've ever gone, not having been there. Um, so I'm, we're only going in for like three to four days, but, um, and doing a quick whirlwind, um, but going to see some shows. And I, I think it's going to be really fun. Um, New York in the fall is the best. Thanksgiving is also happy Thanksgiving, everyone. This episode comes out the day before Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is my absolute favorite holiday. Um, I love it. I love the food. I love, I just love it. Stuffing's my favorite. I love, I love Thanksgiving. So <laughs> New York though, in the fall, the parade, it's just a lovely, it's a lovely time. And yeah, um, I'm sure it's been chilly. Knows. Yeah. I've been looking, it's I've been California too. It's been like, we've gotten some nice weather and um, yeah, I just, but love- it's, it's different. It's a different level chilly. I looked last night and it, it looks like it's even going to go down into um at night when we're there, it might even go into the twenties. So wow, so you basically are packing for winter. Yeah. yeah. But it'll yeah. be so fun. And I'm sure everyone today is prepping and cooking. And I think this is actually a perfect episode for Thanksgiving. Heather is really inspirational about defying, not even defying odds. That's not the correct language, but I think defying the expectations we really set for ourselves, especially with age and when we think things can happen by. And um, I know this time of year can also be really heavy. So I think this is a perfect episode if you're feeling maybe that heaviness. And if you want to go back into our past episodes, I think our episode with LaToya about anxiety, um, 
there's so many episodes that we've had recently that I think are great for the holiday season as well. If you're feeling maybe some of the harder parts of the season, but, um, and Rachel McLeod is also a really good one. I would recommend if anybody's feeling a little down or struggling, um, with anxious thought patterns or anything like that. Both of those are actually quite good that you mentioned as well. Um, but we have a really inspirational uh, conversation today, and it was really cool um, speaking with Heather. Um, before we get to it, though, we just want to remind everybody that we have a really awesome special going on with our longtime sponsor. I feel like they're friends because we've worked together for so long, but um, Milk and Honey, uh, the spas in LA, the Milk and Honey spa locations for Los Angeles, which are Brentwood and Culver City are doing kind of an epic, epic promotion now through the end of the year. So anybody who's local to LA, um, you can use the code CWBESTIE. That's CWBESTIE. And you and a friend, if you book your services together, both get 50% off your services. So in fact, it's really two services for the price of one. Um, But you just have to reserve together and you can apply it to anything um, from facials to massages. It's it's an awesome thing. Um, So anybody who's local... Culver City and Brentwood Spa locations, CW Bestie, go book it with your friends, your partner, your spouse, your, I don't know, colleague. Yeah. Your pet sitter, whoever, whoever it is. Yeah. No. And I love that even right now too, through that special, you can always save 20% at the spas, but new and returning spa customers can save that 20% at all locations and, um, 20% online too, at their incredible boutique. And I'm sure if you're checking, they're going to have even better boutique deals this weekend for Black Friday. And they carry everything from Osea Malibu to Kula Sun Care to just really great clean beauty products. So check out Milk and Honey and happy shopping, buying, happy gift certificating, gift certificating (laughs) (laughs) season. Um, But we should get to the episode because it is really inspirational. And I think it's the perfect episode to take you into that turkey or tofurkey coma that we will all be in shortly. So today on the show, we welcome a truly extraordinary guest, athlete and speaker, Heather Moyes. Heather is a four-time Olympian in two-man bobsleigh and won gold at the 2010 Winter Games in Vancouver and again at the 2014 Games in Sochi. Heather is a multidisciplinary athlete and prior to being an Olympian, She was a mainstay on Canada's senior women's rugby team. She led Canada to silver in the 2013 Rugby Sevens World Cup and was the top try scorer in the 2006 and 2010 Women's Rugby World Cups. In 2016, Heather became only the second Canadian and first Canadian female to be inducted into the World Rugby Hall of Fame. Heather represented Canada in a third international sport, in 2012 when she placed top five in two events at the Pan Am Track Cycling Championships in Argentina. Before deciding to compete for her fourth Olympic Games at age 39, Heather climbed Antarctica's highest peak, Mount Vinson, as part of an expedition to support the members of the Canadian Armed Forces. Heather has a master's degree in occupational therapy and is a highly sought after motivational speaker and author of the book, Redefining Realistic. 
In today's conversation, Heather shares with us how to move beyond expectations we set for ourselves so that we can all tap into our deepest potential and live beyond the way we define ourselves. We hope you get as much out of this conversation as we did. This episode is brought to you by Dr. Jen Natural Toothpaste, a toothpaste like no other. There is nothing more important than fresh breath and dental wellness. We've even done episodes on it. And we are so happy to have Dr. Jen Natural Toothpaste as a sponsor of the Courageous Wellness Podcast. Dr. Jen Natural Toothpaste is a toothpaste created by a real dentist using nourishing and natural ingredients proven to remineralize tooth enamel to prevent decay. The founder, Dr. Jen, isn't just someone who got an idea and made a toothpaste. She's a highly trained and experienced dental professional. As a mom of three kids and a dentist, she knows how important it is to provide safe, natural, and healthy products for our long-term health and development. This is what started her on the quest to find a natural toothpaste that actually works. After not seeing an adequate toothpaste available, she took on the challenge to satisfy this gap. Bringing in her prior experience as an engineer and working alongside chemists, she created the ultimate natural toothpaste using clinically proven ingredients to strengthen teeth. We are huge fans of the yummy toothpaste with ingredients that are good for you and the environment. All products are also made from sustainable ingredients and biodegradable materials. If you want to try Dr. Jen Natural Toothpaste, you can save 10% with code CWPODCAST, one word at checkout, when you visit www.drjennatural.com. That's www.drjennatural.com. All information can also be found in our show notes. Well, thank you, Heather, for joining us today. Erica and I are really excited to have you on the show and for our listeners to learn and, and hear about your story. Um, So just to get us started, can you share a little bit about your personal background, maybe that how that led you into the world of uh, athletics and sports and, um, and, and the current work that you do as well? Yeah. So I grew up in a really, in the smallest province in Canada, Prince Edward Island, and it it was, it's a small town story kind of thing. Like I grew up playing sports my whole life, but I mean, to access the mainland, like the rest of Canada, it was either a flight or a 45 minute ferry ride, which is now a 13 kilometer bridge. But, you know, when I grew up, it was this big ferry ride. So, you know, somewhat isolated here on the Island. And I mean, I grew up playing sports my whole life, but there was nobody around me training for the Olympics and training for, to represent our country anywhere. So for me, you know, Olympians were TV people, not everyday normal people. Like I considered myself to be, So I just always played sports for fun, you know, and when you grow up in a, like a pretty academic family, um, I just thought I always considered sport to be extracurricular to what I was going to do to earn a living. never thought of it as it never really was. No, I could never do that, but it was more, it just never occurred to me because it wasn't in my lane. It wasn't in my immediate environment. Um, which is actually what I do a lot of work on now is because we limit our choices. We still make choices, but we make them within the boundaries of, of our, of our environments, of our exposures, of our direct exposures. So um, that's kind of what I start try to help people with is getting past those assumptions and past our self-limiting beliefs and really breaking free from those boundaries that we kind of unconsciously set for ourselves. So I actually didn't start lifting weights 
or even taking sports seriously and training for sports until I was 27. Um, so I, um, yeah, I mean, before that I played three varsity sports at university college, went, you know, down the States. Um, and yeah, I, again, I was just playing for fun. It was, I, I didn't even at the time, even know we had a national women's rugby team. So I wasn't striving to get there. You know, when you, you just, when you don't know that there's another level, you just play for fun. So it was, I don't know. Again, like I said, it was extracurricular. And so I pursued a career and a master's degree in occupational therapy. I did a lot of work with people with disabilities um, through the through occupational therapy. I worked a lot with people with um, brain injuries and neurological disorders. And what I, what I really loved about occupational therapy was that I could help my clients see their situation in a different way, in a different perspective and help them see the possibilities that still existed in their, in their circumstance, regardless of whatever challenges they were facing. And so, you know, you start looking, learning to help other people look for the solutions in the problems, in the, in the setbacks, in the obstacles and, and, you know, help people see uh, what they are still able to do. Like we all sell ourselves short. It's just someone who's just had a stroke is selling themselves short because of something that's physically, you know, disabling them. So it is, uh, it, it's been a really interesting experience. Um, and again, when I was 27, the only reason I started lifting weights was because I was suddenly faced with this challenge. And this was from a recruiter who heavily tried to recruit me to do bobsledding. And the first time he asked me, I said, no, I'm not interested at all. And then four years later, when I was 27, I finally just said, okay, look, it's not like I'm really going to do this, but I'll just go do the testing camp just to get you to, you know, just to get this guy off my back a little bit. So I went to the testing camp, uh, the national testing camp, kind of a development camp. And, and fortunately I missed the first day of testing because I was in a tournament and uh, that was all weightlifting. And I had never lifted, so thank goodness for that because I was like, I wouldn't have told anyone that I didn't know how to lift weights. I would have just copied somebody, you know, tried to imitate them. And I would have probably crushed myself with a bar. Um, but the next day was all speed work and, you know, sprinting through timing lights, pulling a weighted sled and bios and bounding and all explosive, you know, testing and speed testing. And I had still never done any of those tests before, but at least I wasn't going to crush myself with a bar. And I ended up breaking one of their testing records. And all of a sudden it was like, wait a second, you mean to tell me that I've broken a record amongst these people who've been training for years and who are supposed to be representing us at the next Olympics, which were five months later. So for me, I hadn't even been down a track. I hadn't seen a sled yet. And I fell in love with the challenge of, can I learn a new sport? Can I learn to do it well? And can I learn to do well in time? to maybe represent my country in five months at the next Olympics. So at the time it had nothing to do with bobsledding it had everything to do with the challenge. And so that's kind of the challenges is what really motivated that it's then when I realized I'm fueled and motivated by challenges, you know, I was always the procrastinator and always the putting things off and always the just doing the thing. Cause it was fun. And, and the challenge really, really fueled me. And so every, I competed in four different Olympic games and each one presented me with four different challenges, which was really, really exciting and really great. It's yeah. Like it's such an incredible story and journey and, oh my gosh, there's so much I want to unpack and especially <laughs> to get into, you know, which I know we're going to talk about too, is, is limiting beliefs and like, mm -hmm. you know, exactly how, how we can all 
break through and challenge them. Um, I think that's really important. So we're going to get to that, but I'm so like your, your story is, is pretty remarkable. I think even the fact that, right, you were 27 years Mm -hmm. old when it happened and, um, it's so sad, but I think like so often people limit themselves based on age, right? Like, Oh, "Oh, well I'm 27. So there's no way I could ever be in the Olympics or I'm 30. So there's no way I could ever do this new thing. Right. Like there's all these limiting beliefs we put on age. So I just think that's such an incredible part of your journey and so inspirational already off the bat. Um, but I'm curious before we even get into all of that, what was it like at 27, five months later, going to the Olympics, right? Like, what was that like? Um, I know you said it was like this challenge that motivated you, mm-hmm. but I imagine your whole life must have transformed so quickly. Like, how did that feel? Um, like words that come up, like, did you struggle with any imposter syndrome or did you feel, um, I don't know, just like, did it feel like it was your mission? Did you struggle with any growing pains? Like five months is such a quick period of time. Erica, I honestly think that I had the benefit of ignorance. So I'm going to, I'm going to explain that for a second. Like, I think that, um, Well, in my book, Redefining Realistic, at the very start, I talk about this, how we talk about how we define things. And when you're a kid, you don't, you do impossible until until someone else imposes their definitions of what's possible or impossible on you. Um, Like my sister wanted to grow up to become a chickadee, for example, like, you know, she didn't know she couldn't do that. So it's, you know, who tells her she can't do that? Well, my parents actually never did. They just said, oh, well, you know, if you were to become a chickadee, what's the first thing you would do? Like, and then without even knowing it, she's learning visualization and stuff like that. So it's, it's just crazy. But if all of a sudden it were squashed down right from the beginning, it would be like, okay, well, what else can't I do? Or it's just an impossibility. And it just, I mean, my parents weren't really worried that my sister was going to, you know, at the age of four actually end up becoming a chickadee. Like, it wasn't, they, she didn't, they didn't need to tell her that that was impossible, you know? So I just, I think with the ignorance that I went into bobsledding with, well, one, when I started, I just fell in love with this challenge. So one, there was no time really to even absorb what was happening. So when you say, what was it like there? It was a blur. Like there are parts that I remember pockets that I are like certain pockets that are very clear but in general, like I have not, like I had no idea really what was going on, which was actually really, really great. So at the very beginning, our very first race that year, um, uh, we were competing. It was the world cup season and we finished and we came third. And so we broke the start record and then we came, we had finished up third and my driver was like choked up and crying. One of the coaches was all teary and giving her big hugs. And, and I mean, she'd been, for eight years and I was like what like okay like okay we did well but we we didn't win like why are we all emotional and I found out later that that is the she hadn't broken the top eight before you know before that you know she'd been driving I guess not for eight years but for a handful of years but she hadn't broken the top eight before and so for her that was a really big deal and I was like okay well great I'm I'm glad she's excited and at the moment and then 
I also didn't realize that we were competing against other world champions, other Olympic champions. To me, they were just girls. They were just other young women like I was. They were just, I, I didn't elevate them in any way. I didn't elevate the experience or, or make it way more important than it just being a, a race. Like, so I think by not being in that world for so long, and the same thing is I didn't grow up watching the Olympics on TV. We watched, really didn't watch very many sports at all on TV. So at those Olympic games, for example, my driver, um, again, we pushed the fastest and everything, and we ended up coming fourth. So we missed standing on that Olympic podium in my very first games by five hundredths of a second. Now that's with bobsledding, it's four, four times down the track. And instead of some events where they take your best run or your best time to move on to a different qualifier, you actually add up the times for all four runs, everything else. So you could have the fastest run down the track and still not win. Like you, it's basically who is consistently good across the board, who can handle the pressure, who's consistently good. And so my, we now that's 5.7 kilometers of track. Oh gosh. I'm not sure what that is in miles, but we missed standing like, oh, that's 3.54, 3.54 miles, 5.7 kilometers, 3.54 miles. And we missed standing on that Olympic podium by five hundredths of a second. And I found out years later just before going into the vancouver olympics when i saw it on a tv commercial that my driver was in and she talked about belief and she talked about how she always wondered since then if she if she always wondered if we could have actually gotten on the podium if she had actually believed she deserved to be there because she had grown up watching the olympics she had grown up dreaming about being there she had grown up admiring olympians and so for her, that imposter syndrome at the Olympics, her thinking, what am I doing here? What am I, how am I here competing against these people? Even though they were the same people we competed against all winter, all winter, same people, all races, the same. For some reason, the event, she had elevated that event so much in her brain that whatever hesitation that was, whatever, you know, it it's a, it's a question. Did that make, did that disbelief, did that moment of, you know, in a sport that comes down to hundreds of a second, whether you believe it or not is going to make a difference on maybe how much you really push on that back leg off that starting block or how much you, you know, drive, 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 or, you know, it, your belief makes, makes a difference. So it's just really interesting. And so for me, I believe that my ignorance was a huge contributing factor to how level-headed I was able to stay, how, um, how I was able to compete under such pressure, um, with pressure that I obviously didn't absorb pressure that other people might've perceived, but I didn't because I hadn't elevated the event and it had just happened so quickly. It was really just a blur. And it me, it was keeping my head down, trying to learn a new sport, trying to learn what my driver needed for her to do well, as well as me, how to take care of the equipment, how to juggle, how to manage the personalities of a whole bunch of girls on tour. When it's like, even though you're on the same team, you're not on the same team. Like it's, it's a bit of a juggling act. And it was, I was just, literally trying to learn my job and, and get things done. So there was no time. And that is why. So I believe ignorance is sometimes the word, the term ignorance is bliss. That phrase, it is a hundred percent accurate in times where pressure could, you know, tip you over the, that, you know, that adrenaline scale, that, uh, 
performance, optimal performance um, bell curve. So, so that's a long-winded answer to your question. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. And I definitely can even apply that to my own life. And in aspects, it's like, when you don't know, it's something you should be nervous about, or something you should Mm -hmm. um, have sort of certain like expectations in a way it's very freeing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm curious, you went on to compete in other Olympics and, mm-hmm. and to become a gold medalist. And so I'm curious, once you had this experience about like, y- you kind of get through the learning curve of learning this new sport and being able mm-hmm. to kind of put your head down and focus on the work in the beginning, and then maybe with some time and distance, get some perspective <laughs> on, whoa, like the level of being competing on like in the, for the world and like the world scale, I guess. Um, did that shift for you? Did any, did any, um, I don't know, new perspective or different sort of, um, challenges in the mind present themselves over time? Obviously you, you went on to achieve the highest honor, but it's, it's sort of, interesting because that was like, then what is it? Four years, right? Every four years. So then it's like, you have way more perspective the second time around, or even the third time. And, and just what was that experience like? Um, and did you find any new challenges along the way, um, with having more information and having more sort of grand perspective on, on what it might mean? Yeah, there are definitely mental challenges that have ha- that have happened over the years. Um, the first mental challenge for me was still that first year, but it had nothing to do with who I was competing against. It had to do with the fact that I did not want to lift weights. So that was a, probably one of the biggest mental hurdles I had to get over because I grew up uh, naturally, like just muscular naturally. And which is why I probably avoided lifting weights, even at, you know, when I went to university and, and, and I just, I grew up in a time when CrossFit was not a thing when being muscular was not considered to be attractive in a woman, like where, I mean, everyone has their own, obviously their own tastes and interests, but in terms of public and in society, um, like that was a time when even men didn't go to the gym, unless you were a football player, you know, it, it was a, it was a very, very different time than it is now. Um, and so for me, I avoided lifting weights. Like it was the plague because I was very paranoid about how muscular I was. I very rarely wore shorts. If I, you know, if I could help it, I just, cause my calves were bigger than all the men's, like the guys on the football team were telling me they wish they had my legs you know, and it wasn't to rub up on them. It was literally, they wished that my legs were theirs, you know? So it was a very, um, it was a weird time. Even though the times had shifted a bit for me mentally, that, that was stuck in my brain from growing up, you know? And, um, it was, it was strange. That was a strange shift. My sister, basically, um, I talked to my sister on the phone. I said, what? I tested two different teams have asked me to push for them this year. And she goes, Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And I said, yes, but that means like that they'll know I don't lift weights. And she'll say, well, what do you mean? Why would they know that? And I said, cause we're on tour together. Like I'm literally traveling with them. She'll go, she said, well, lift weights then. And I said, but 
you know, what if I'm going to get even bigger and my muscle, like it was total again, like the unknown. And she just said, Heather, you do not, this is five months of your life. Like you can lift weights for five months. You can lift weights. You don't want to get to the end and just miss out on making the team or just miss out on a medal or just miss it. And always wonder if vanity stopped you from achieving that. And so I was like, okay, five months. Okay. So then I developed this thing where it's just no regrets. Like I, whatever happens at the end, I just want to be able to look back and have no regrets and no regrets. Regrets means no excuses, which is why when the gym was closed one day, when I was in PEI, I went and did an upper body workout at the playground equipment outside of the school down the road. Like I just needed to be able to look back. Even if we came forth, if we lost, if I didn't make the team, whatever the end scenario is, that's the only way you can be at peace with whatever result is if you can look back and not regret anything that you've done. So not skip a day because of May two, four weekend, but maybe miss a day of training because it's literally for recovery because your body will perform better. And you're really the only one who can call yourself out on that and know that for sure. But you will know that for sure when you're standing at the starting line at the Olympic games or at the finish line at the Olympic games and know you just missed something. And then that one day that you skipped back then because it was someone's barbecue, you'll be like wondering forever if that made the difference. Like, so I just developed a bunch of philosophies over the years. And one was no regrets equals no excuses. And I was like, okay, if I want no regrets at the end, this is what it's going to take. So a lot of it was some mind shifting for sure. That was probably the first one. And along the way, again, going into the Vancouver Olympics, like four years later, um, we were still kind of underdogs going into those games, but So again, the pressure is what you put on yourself. Like, yes, it's on home soil. And yes, we were building momentum on tour. Um, I was with a new driver and it was kind of like bonus. Like we're just here to prove a point, prove that we deserve to be here. And so each of those four Olympic games, like if I had just been told to go for another four to try and win again and try and win again and try and win again, I would have lost. That's not me. That's not who I am. For me, it needs to be some kind of, challenge and probably the more implausible, the better, like the higher, the better, because yeah, okay, I'm going to go for that. And if I don't, well, I'm just going to see how close I can get. And it's the bigger, the better. If you just set small goals, those don't exactly, it doesn't work that way. I think what you're describing to you is so relatable to so many women. And I, I think it's a good segue into limiting beliefs. And though I want, I want to unpack maybe a little bit more about, right? Like that mental gymnastics almost about, right. Like being too muscular, right? Like, Oh, well, if Mm -hmm. I lift weights, I'm going to be even more muscular. And this is an insecurity I have. And I think so many women and men, but women especially can really relate to, right. Like not doing things because of maybe body insecurity, right? Like I think even, even myself, like there's things I didn't do, when I was in a larger body because mm-hmm. I didn't want to do them in my larger body. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I, I have this, I know so many people have this and, you know, I know there's also this, um, movement, right. It's not just like body positivity, but almost like body neutrality. And I don't know, that's kind of what kept coming to me when you were talking, right. Where it was like, well, I don't want to have regrets because of my body, right. Or because of these insecurities. Um, but I don't want to put words in your mouth about like body neutrality or, or, but like, if we can maybe unpack that a little bit more, cause I think it's so relatable about to 
just limiting yourself based on an insecurity and, and how you are really able to, to, yeah. And sometimes when I help people, I mean, insecurities are real legit things. Like they're not just, they're, they're not just something to kind of fluff away or, or make fun, like, or just tell someone to get over it. It's not really something you like, I still have, there are still days where I'm like, Hmm. Mm-mm, not, not happy in this one. Mm-mm. And then there are other days where I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling great. I feel like I look great. I feel great. I'm like the clothes look good on me. And then other days where I'm like, there is not one thing that will look good on you right now. Like it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a daily, it's a daily change, but in terms of it affecting what I do on a daily basis, um, I'm very much a proponent on choices and accountability. And so I will tell someone, if someone says that they, um, that they, you know, would like to go to the gym, but they just don't have time, then I will challenge that. And I'll just say, oh, so you're really just prioritizing other things. Just own that. Like, I don't care if you go, I don't care if you ever go to the gym. Like I haven't gone to the gym in years right now. So like, I don't, I'm not telling you to go to the gym, but don't make excuses for it. Own it and say, you either just don't want to go to the gym. You don't like going to the gym. You would, or just reframe it and say, I would rather be doing this as long as you're owning your choices and knowing that there are consequences to every choice that we make. And by owning, you're basically not choosing the choice. You're choosing the consequence. And as long as you're choosing that consequence and you're okay with that consequence, then that's fine. Um, like if I chose not to lift weights, for example, like through that five months or tried to get away with not lifting it. Or if I changed, um, and decided not to do bobsling at all because of that, then I would at least have to own that decision, regardless of whether it was for insecurities or not. And just say, yes, I will never know how well I could have done. I will never know how well I could have done. I will never know if I could have done something great in that and, you know, had a platform to go and empower, you know, millions of people, but like, it's, it's all about for me, choices and accountability, um, and consequences. We want to take a quick break from this episode to talk about today's sponsor, Ned. If you have listened to this podcast, then, you know, I struggle with anxiety. When I first learned about CBD being a natural and powerful solution to anxiety, sleep disorders, muscle pain, headaches, and so much more, I became very passionate about finding the best source to put in my body. Enter Ned. Ned's full spectrum hemp oil is USDA certified organic extracted from USDA certified organic hemp plants grown by an independent farmer named Jonathan in Paonia, Colorado. And I use the products daily to support my anxiety. And it has been so helpful in everyday life. These products are science backed nature-based solutions that offer an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. Right now, we are both really enjoying Ned's brand new product, which has been in development for over a year, the De-Stress Blend. This one-to-one formula of CBD and CBG is made from the world's purest full-spectrum hemp. And check out these ingredients. CBG is known as the mother of all cannabinoids because of how effective it is at combating anxiety and stress by inhibiting the reuptake of GABA, the neurotransmitter responsible for stress regulation. And ashwagandha is an amazing Ayurvedic adaptogen that enhances your body's resilience to stress. 
And the delicious taste of this blend is thanks to the botanical infusion of cardamom and cinnamon. Cinnamon is a powerful prebiotic that supports your gut health, a key player in your mental health. And cardamom combats stress by helping reduce your blood pressure and cortisol levels. Ned's quality also really speaks for itself. Ned's products have over 1,500 five-star reviews, and they work with incredible partners within the medical field like Dr. Caroline Leaf, Dr. Christian Gonzalez, and Dr. Will Cole, who has been a two-time guest on Courageous Wellness. If you'd like to give Ned a try, Courageous Wellness listeners get 15% off Ned products with code CWPODCAST. Visit helloned.com slash CWPODCAST to get access. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash CWPODCAST to get 15% off. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. A direct link can also be found in our show notes. We are so excited to offer our listeners a new discount to one of the best probiotic supplements on the market, Seed. If you are a regular listener of the podcast, then you know that Allie and I are both very serious when it comes to the importance of gut health and building a thriving microbiome. I personally have been using Seed for close to a year now and have noticed a big difference in my digestion and bloating. I am devoted to taking Seed every single morning before food, and I'm really excited to share their daily symbiotic with our audience. The formulation of the daily symbiotic combines a probiotic and prebiotic, is vegan and gluten-free, and includes 24 clinically studied, naturally occurring strains, not found in yogurt or fermented foods and beverages, and lives up to the highest standards for human and planetary health. Yes. And in addition to being a really reliable probiotic and prebiotic supplement, Seed is committed to creating science-based education for all those that partner with them through accountable advertising at Seed University. This is where we are all committed to not spreading misinformation about health on the internet. Pretty important, right? Also, I personally love their commitment to sustainability with a refill system and all recyclable or biodegradable packaging materials. Erica and I only advertise products that we use and feel are of benefit to us and by extension could be of value to our community as well. If you would like to order Seed Daily Symbiotics to incorporate into your own gut health routine, go to seed.com and use the code COURAGEOUS15 at checkout for 15% off or click on the link in our show notes. So when I'm talking about some of those things, it's making like consequences and that's what you're really evaluating. But it also comes down to some things where insecurities, which are, I believe are rooted in fear. So it's actually really fear and it's not fear. It's the same thing when I talk about organizations and, and speaking to groups and companies, when I, when I talk about fear of, of, it's not even fear of failure that we experience. We fear judgment. That's what we fear. We fear judgment the most judgment, isolation, ridicule, that is, that's what we actually fear. And that is, that is where fear of failure comes in. Cause if failure were celebrated, we wouldn't fear it. If, um, whatever body issue we have, we all have one, it, at least one little issue that we would, you know, most of us anyway, um, 
if we didn't, it's mostly how we, it's not that we have an issue, it's how we believe it's being perceived. And that's what we fear. We fear that judgment or we feel that that talking behind closed doors. We fear that that isolation, that ridicule. That's what we fear. We fear the perception of other people. And, and if we, and that's the part when it comes down to it is even we can't, well, one, we could say all these things like, yes, you need to just own it and not care what other people think. Well, that's, that's easier said than done. Um, two, you can say that, you know, there are people all around the world. Everybody has a different preference on what they, what they love, what they perceive as being attractive, you know, all of these different things, which is true, but it's also not something that's like, sometimes it'll work and sometimes it won't. But when you look at whatever body insecurity you have, you have to look at that might not go away today, but what is that preventing you from doing today? And are you okay with it stopping you in your tracks from not doing that? And if you don't do that, what does that mean for the day after? What does that mean for the day after that? And what does that mean for you, your life, your happiness, your loved ones? Like, what does that, what is that preventing you from doing for someone, for example, who might be living in a bigger body. And if they are paranoid, there's some beautiful, beautiful people who live in big bodies and who enjoy life to the max and they seem unstoppable. And other people could be half that size and are so consumed with, with how they're appearing, how they're presenting in the world, what other people are going to think and all of that stuff that it's presenting them from living a life that could be just as joyous as anyone else. Um, and when you're looking at what is this preventing you from doing and achieving and taking in, and are you missing life with your kids? Like, are you not going to the playground with your kids because you are too embarrassed? And it's, it's, again, I just want to reiterate, it's not you. It's how you're, you, you believe you were assuming it all comes down to assumptions. It's how you're assuming people are going to see you and how you're assuming that you're going to be judged. And we assume way too many things. We have assumptions, self-limiting beliefs and fears. They're all grouped together. And that is, those are the self-sabotaging things that stop people from often even starting to pursue the things that they want, not even along the way, but most people don't even attempt the things that they really want to do because of those three things, those self self-limiting beliefs, fears, and assumptions. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think when you talk about assumptions and then also fear of judgment, I think that it goes past that idea of, as you said, you know, people often say like fear of failure or fear, fear of success, which is like sort of the same thing. But in mm -hmm. fact, it's like what I think it's only the same thing when, when you go to like the next step, which is what you're talking mm -hmm. about was like the perception, your assumption of other people's perceptions. Yeah. And that's really powerful to think about in that way. And I think assumptions are so insidious because they're so easy to make that we don't even realize we're making them sometimes. There's um, so many people who will not apply for that position or that job or that raise because they assume that they're not qualified enough. Right. Maybe nobody, maybe everyone else is thinking the same thing and nobody has even applied. Maybe, you know, you're not asking that person out on a date because you assume they're married or if you're attracted to them, they're obviously taken. Well, if everyone's thinking that nobody's asking that person out and that person's okay. probably feeling awful being like, okay, nobody's asking out because, <laughs> you know, and then they're making their own assumptions, right? We just assume way too many things that stop us in our track that stop us from you know, experiencing. And so part of that, and part of what I sometimes work with clients doing is, um, now I did not, I did not develop this. 
uh, and I can't even remember who I borrowed it, stole it from. It is um, rejection therapy. And there was a company with two guys who started it. It was a startup, came super successful, but that wasn't their first startup. And so they were taking risks and they were, you know, trying things and putting themselves out there. And they wanted to be reminded, even after they got successful, how many times they got rejected along the way and how rejected, getting rejected did not stop them in their tracks. And so they challenged themselves. And I believe it was once a month, once a month, they would go out and every, it was a Friday or a Saturday, they'd pick one day. And they would challenge each other to go out and get rejected five times throughout the evening or throughout the day. And that would mean hopping in a taxi. And then at the end, asking if it could be a free ride. Well, they're like, they're expecting to get rejected, but the whole point is showing that someone saying no does not stop your world. It does not, your world doesn't shatter around you. If someone says no to you or you get rejected, or, you know, one of them went up and asked the most attractive person in the bar um, out if they could take them out for dinner. And they were expecting to get rejected. And the person said, sure, you seem really sweet. You could take me over. So it also shows you that out of, I don't know, 10 rejections or 15 rejections, someone's going to say yes. And someone's going to be wanting exactly what you're offering, whether it's your physique, whether it's your business, whether it's your product, whatever it is. Rejection is just part of the process, but we're so afraid of it. Mm -hmm. And we stop ourselves because we assume we're going to get it don't even try that we don't even start. Yeah. I'm curious as someone who created like, after, I mean, as you were also like an Olympian and you also have like multi sort of, I don't know if you'd call it disciplinary in, in, within the context of the sports world, you're also a rugby player. And, mm-hmm. um, I, do you feel like I guess, do you feel like because you sort of develop this idea or these, these sort of set of principles around, um, not limiting yourself or, or breaking through the challenges of Mm self-limitation, it's not that you don't have it. It's that you choose maybe what you want. You don't want to have those regrets, right? So you choose choose to challenge them, choose to challenge them. Um, do you, do you think like, I'm curious as an athlete, because, as much as we can push the physical body to go past certain barriers. And even as an occupational therapist, as you were saying, you're dealing mm-hmm. with something that is um, not infallible though. Like the human body has certain, it can be very transformative. It can, mm-hmm. it can do incredible feats that sometimes we don't even know, you know, like, like the way that even, um, under times of stress can like perform in these ways that are life-saving for ourselves or other people. It's pretty incredible. And the, and the body, as we know, it is incredible. It's, it's heal. It it wants to heal when it's ill. Um, and however, we are all human, uh, organisms that are not, infallible. And so I'm curious, how do you deal with, like, I want to go more into the mindset stuff, but before we do, cause we've been talking about some of the physical stuff, I want to just get your, your take on as someone who's lived a lot of their adult life as a professional athlete, um, as well, how do you deal with the physical realities. I'm not even going to say limitations, but realities of the human body. Um, 
Well, I've dealt with a lot of injuries. I've had a lot of career threatening injuries um, throughout my athletic career. And a lot of people um, wrote me off, definitely. Um, And I think that, I think that when you, well, I mean, I don't think I know when you, when you set your goals. So this is again, what I, what I try to work with clients, clients in terms of reframing whatever goals they have initially. Um, I want people to set really big goals, really big goals, things that they might think are, yeah, far-fetched, unrealistic, lofty, all those ambitious words that we hear that often shut people down because they're like, oh, maybe that's, someone said it was ambitious. Maybe it's too much again, creeping down because they don't want, you know, so there's nothing wrong with setting those. It's the other people's definitions of what's realistic that often squash what our dreams and our goals are and limit them and lessen them and make them more achievable, right. Into these small little packages. And so, um, I think that part of that and part of dealing with naysayers, like the naysayers, the naysayers are the biggest challenges that we face, right? We're dealing with, because again, we're afraid of other people's judgment. We're afraid of other people's perceptions. It's we're assuming other people, like it's mostly other people. And the way to disempower them and re-empower you is by either out loud verbally to them, or at least in your mind later, or on the spot. But if someone says, wow, like, do you really think you're, you know, is that realistic? Do you really think you're going to achieve all that? Or yeah, right. Or whatever. I want all of you to kind of adopt my, my response again, whether it's external or internal, but yeah, you might be right. You might be right. I might not get to the Olympics because I just had hip surgery nine months before the trial date. Yeah. You might, you might be right. Um, but I sure as hell want to see how close I can get. That's all it takes. It takes, it takes the acknowledgement that you might not get there. And there are no guarantees in anything in sports in business or in life. There are no guarantees in anything, right? You might get a sickness that you weren't expecting. A family member might need your help somewhere else. And so it puts your goals on hold. Like there are no guarantees in anything. So you might as well set a goal that you actually will enjoy pursuing and challenging yourself to see how close you can get. Because also in that process, it also means you're gamifying the whole process. You're gamifying it. As soon as it becomes a challenge and you're embracing it as a, I really just want to see how close I can get there. One, you'll surprise yourself and you'll get further than you actually thought you would ever do. And two, it turns any of the challenges and the setbacks that you kind of confront along the way it again, if you can gamify that and, and look at it as though like, okay, well, okay, well, if I really want to see how close I can, how can I find another way to do this? Or how can I get around? Or who can I call that might be able to help me get past this? And, and if you're just trying to see how close you can get, it becomes a challenge. Everything little thing becomes a challenge instead of just as a hard obstacle that's kind of preventing you from continuing and wrapping all that stuff up, kind of consider it to be like a champion mindset. Like the, the people who just people who win or get on top of champions and CEOs, they don't get there because they didn't face obstacles along the way. They just treated them as challenges and tried to find different ways of doing something or ways around it, which is also where my occupational therapy training comes in because 
it doesn't have to look the same way. The end doesn't have to look the same way or the end can look the same and the process can look completely different. Nothing has to be done the same way that other people have done it. It, it, it can be completely different. And if you actually enjoy what you're doing along the way, then, and you wouldn't rather do anything else anyway, even if you don't make it the whole way and you end up here, you're still going to be way more, way higher and achieve more than if you just set a small goal that you knew was achievable down here and that everyone else was kind of saying, yeah, you, you, sh- you could go to that. You could definitely do that. Yeah. So that's, I think where that level of happiness and satisfaction and your sense of purpose, like people live longer when they actually have goals that they set for themselves, for themselves and challenge, would think that challenging mm-hmm. themselves and having goals gives you that sense of purpose. And I just think if people were to change their goals and turn them into just personal challenges to see how close they can get, it would be a whole different story instead of having it as some binary, I achieved it or I didn't achieve it. Yeah. It becomes a spectrum and then you can see how far along the spectrum you reached. Yeah, yeah. no, I think that's a great point. And you know, it's interesting cause I've recently been getting really into like creating new neural pathways and like the neuroscience of our behaviors mm-hmm. and our conditioning, just like so much. Um, and, and I even read or heard somewhere recently that it's like, treat it like it's a video game. Like every day, it's like yeah. a new day, a new, it's like your life is, is this video game that you get to play every day. And like, how do you want to show up today? And every day is, you know, a new day to do that. I'm curious though. And I'd love, you know, and you've given such great tips on like how to talk to ourselves or talk to others, but is there anything to that our listeners that we can do today after listening? If, if maybe that seems so far off from like where we are today, if that makes sense, like, oh, well I'm, you know, 30 something. And so it really does seem impossible. Like how can I train my mind every day to get to where I believe in the excitement of the challenge, if that makes sense. Right. Cause I think, well, or, or, or is it just like, yeah. even if you don't believe it, just do it and see how it changes sort of thing. Well, I think it's, it's not about believing that it's going to happen. It's believing in the possibilities of it happening. And like, if someone has done it before, you know, it's possible. So why can't it be you? I think we need to start at learning to we, st- we need to learn how to ask ourselves those challenging questions. So some people will have a coach for that because they can't, you know, they're maybe not, not necessarily good yet at asking themselves those questions. So for, for someone like, oh, I can do that. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Says, who are you sure? Like, oh, I, well, I'd love to go, but it's for sure sold out. Are you sure? Oh, well, probably. Oh, so you're not sure. So you're not, you're not sure. We need to start challenging our assumptions right from the beginning. And we need to learn how to do that because again, like something like that, like, oh, well, it's, it's for sure sold out now. Like it's such a big, it's such a big event. I'd never be able to go because it's sold out. Did you check? Did you confirm? Did you, maybe there's a cancellation. Maybe there's a wait list. Maybe there's a, you know, you need to put yourself in a best position to do the things that you really want to do and the real things you really want to enjoy. And I think Asking the questions, are you sure, uh, says who, and really think about that. Like, why am I thinking that? Like whoever put that thought in my brain and maybe it was true when I was seven or 10 or 13 or even 17, but is it, is it actually really true now? Like, can I, 
can I, and we need to also tack on the words yet. Like I can't do that yet. I can't do that now. I don't know how to do, oh, I, I don't know how to do that yet or now, or we need to at least put it into a situation because that doesn't mean you could never do that. That doesn't mean you could ever, just because you were only, you can only this lift this amount right now, doesn't mean you won't improve again next week and the week after and the week after and be in a whole different place in two years from now. So one, I just want people to start questioning their assumptions. I want people to think about that thing that they really like right now, if they were just to say, oh my gosh, if you could just do like the one thing that you want, whether it's a bucket list thing, whether it's starting your own business, like whatever that thing is, that it's the thing right now that you're thinking of at this moment, but that you've already probably pushed to the back of your brain has a little bit of dust on it back there. Like you need to just, whatever that flicker was that you're so used to dismissing because you can't do it anymore because you have children or you can't do it anymore because, well, like most people do that in their twenties and I'm already 34 or like most people, like it's most people. Yeah. Most people doesn't mean everyone. And yes, then you also have to evaluate, okay, I could still do it, but do I want to do it at this age? Like you have, there's a lot of evaluation and it all comes with choices and consequences and looking at the process, but you need to own whatever that thing is in that brain, pull it forward and just say, yeah. Okay. Maybe I won't do it, but it's something that I would love even trying to pursue, trying to challenge, even if it's learning to financially manage your money. So you can take that trip to Greece that you've always dreamt of taking or whatever it is. Like it, it doesn't have to be some big, huge, like business goal, or it can literally be to buy your own house to, I don't know, train dogs, even though you've never had a dog before. Like you just love them. You love the idea of training them. I, it could be anything at all. And then as soon as you kind of set that as a goal and a challenge and be like, yeah, you know what? I might never be able to own my own business doing that, but I want to see how close I can get. And maybe if you fall just shy of that top part at that a certain moment, whatever time limit you give yourself, then maybe shy of that is that, okay, maybe you didn't get all the way, or maybe you can't move to Greece and live there for uh, three months of the year, but maybe you can go every year for two weeks or a week, or maybe you end up going because you can't totally afford it. You're not going by yourself, but you end up going in a group, a tour and getting a house together. Like you're the, the spectrum just means there are different variations or different possibilities of achieving something that you really, really want. And we're so used to thinking about it in a certain way that this is where the OT training comes in doesn't have to look the same way. It doesn't have to, just because you've had a stroke and you're now in a wheelchair, doesn't mean you can't go sailing on a boat anymore. It just means that you might not be able to do all the rigging. You might just have to be strapped on there, but you can still feel the wind going through your hair while you're sitting in a wheelchair strapped to the boat. Like it does not have to look the same way. It does not have to, being an Italian mom, for example, if your identity is wrapped up in cooking meals for your whole family. If that is how you perceive you get have a sense of purpose because that is what's wrapped up in your identity and you have a stroke and you have hemiparesis. So weakness on one side of your body and you, it then becomes a, a task. How can we make the kitchen safe so that you can still do what you love to do? And the sense of, it doesn't have to look the same way, but the result will be the same. The outcome will be the same. It is, it's, I just get so passionate on helping people find different ways to achieve 
what they really wanted to achieve. And sometimes what they wanted to achieve is not actually the thing, but it's the feeling of what they would have gotten there. So it could be a whole different thing that they end up doing that gets them that same result of validation, of pride, of, of a comp sense of accomplishment. So it doesn't have to be, oh, climbing Mount Everest to feel that. It could actually have found it doing something completely different, but what they were looking for was that feeling. So it's, it's really fascinating. It's fascinating working with people and figuring out, is it the thing? Is it the feeling? How do we adjust the thing? Or how do we adjust the path to get to the thing? Or how do we figure out what other options there are to get to that feeling? And it's, it's really, it's really fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. And yeah, it makes me excited to also check out your book, um, Redefining Realistic. If anybody's mm -hmm interested in, in the work that Heather does and, and everything we've spoken about today too. And I really think you've left us with, um, some food for thought, especially around judgments, assumptions, and how we define what's realistic for us and where we, where we create those ideas too. So I really appreciate you, um, sharing all this and also talking about like the spectrum in, in the setting of the goal. And actually Erica and I, we originally met through our Buddhist practice. And this reminds me of something that's very sort of similarly aligned in that philosophy, which is the idea of like setting goals. Um, mm -hmm. There's this concept of human revolution where inner transformation can take place. And it's, it's not always about the goal, but in the act of setting the goal, everything that happens between in like in your own sort of growth between this moment and working towards the goal is, yeah. is where the act of, or the transformation, this human revolution, this internal transformation takes place. And in that your life expands and opens to so many other possibilities that you might not have even been aware of. So I, I really resonate with that idea of that, like, going for that feeling that brings us joy and in the process of that, what else kind of presents itself too in that process. So thank you for sharing all of that. I'm sure we that. could, we could talk to you for probably another hour. <laughs> probably. <laughs> um, as we begin to wrap up, we do ask our guests three short wrap up questions. And I'm really curious about yours for the first one. Um, so you are a busy person with a lot going on. And um, I'm curious, do you have any daily self-care practices and are any of them non-negotiables for you in your day? Um, to be honest, I don't have any set daily practices. I, I tried for a while to have kind of a routine at the beginning, but I was living, I was in different cities and different places all over the, all over the place. And my environment and my schedule just changed so much. Um, now most, some professionals would say, well, that makes it more important to have your daily self-care things. So for me, it's not like sitting down and having that coffee and kind of time. Um, I do know that, you know, when I curl up in bed, I'll play a few of those word games, like on my phone, it just kind of, even though it's activating my brain, it kind of also shuts things down for me. So it just kind of end of the night, just shuts things down. Um, I, yeah, I just, for me, it's not so much daily self-care. It is, um, it's kind of more on a, on a bigger scale. So when I grew up, for example, we were not allowed, this is supposed to be a short question. 
is this a rapid fire question? Oh God, this is not a rapid fire answer. Um, we grew up and we were not allowed. (laughs) We were uh, not allowed to, well, Sunday was our family, family day. And it wasn't necessarily religious based. It was just that my dad worked a lot. So Sundays was for families. So it was, we weren't allowed to go anywhere like away from the family, but we could have friends come and join our family. And sometimes we had other families come and join us and we'd go for a hike or we'd go to the cottage or we'd go, you know, on a canoe ride or have a barbecue or sometimes just make puzzles or play games or watch Walt Disney, you know, and order pizza. Like it wasn't, and sometimes we're all doing separate things, but just in the same room reading, like whatever, but all of our homework had to be done before then all of our chores, like Sundays was a day of rest, really, like, I guess kind of does take a bit of a, that religious connotation, but seven, like we would always just kind of chill as a family. And I'm very fortunate for that. Um, we were extremely close as a family and, but that also allowed our brains to not have to not, we could slow down on a Sunday. So we had that once a week and then every month of August, we would go to the cottage where there was, when we grew up, absolutely no reception. There was a phone that was a party line. I think two people, two family members might've had the number to that phone. Like it was, we were just us in the woods with chipmunks with, you know, right on the water. It was us contained and there was no work. There were no chores. There were no sports. There were no anything like and even on those days of Sundays, even though I was playing so many sports growing up, all of my coaches knew that if they ever put a practice on a Sunday, I would not be there. So they said, if there's a practice, it's not Heather's, Heather's not skipping it. This is our decision. And if that means she can't start in the next game, or if that means she can't play, then, and you have to bench her, then we will take, we will accept those consequences because like, and that to me shows strength of priorities and values. And they were more, their values and priorities were more about keeping us close as a family and, and preserving those days than it was to have me turn out to be an athlete. Shocker. This is where I am now. But I mean, to, it didn't compromise their values or priorities in the least. And I admire that so much. Um, it's very hard to do in this day and age to kind of keep those boundaries and our values and priorities, which is, I think, one of the things that is the most important in helping people make decisions on a daily basis is when we have enough time to sit and do nothing. And some people call it meditating. I tried, I think my version of meditating is just being in the moment. And I do a very, very good job of that. Whether it's looking at sunsets when I'm driving down the road, whether it's literally stopping to look at the lupins and all the flowers and in the ditches, whether it is to sit and feed a chipmunk from my hand, um, a chickadee off, off of my hand. Like I am a pro at being in the moment. And which is why I have to set my alarm all the time because I'll lose track of time because I'm in the moment. Um, but that being said, like I don't have those daily automatic routines, but I think because of how I grew up, I have, I automatically fall into those in the moment times, if that makes any sense. It makes so much sense. That's so beautiful. Thank you. I feel like that's such a great answer and it's such a different answer than we usually get. And I think an important one. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, the next question that we always ask is what does being courageous mean to you? Oh, another quick fire question. (laughs) 
Um, I think being courageous, um, I will try and keep this short. I think it is owning, like actually owning your story and being able to admit the things that we really want. Um, I think that we talked a lot about today, especially about judgment and other worrying more about other people's perceptions than what we actually want. Um, And I think that is really what takes a lot of great, like actually giving yourself permission to admit something that you really want. That's awesome. Thank you. I feel like I've gotten so much out of this conversation. It it came in a time in my life where I think I needed to hear certain things. So I really appreciate this. And this is the benefit of getting to do, you know, Yes. Interviews every week. I'm I'm fortunate in that way. Okay. So the final one is in addition to your own book, of course, yeah. um, which everyone should check out. Do you have a book recommendation on, it can truly be on anything um, or even a piece of content re- recommendation that just has meant something uh, to you in your own journey? Oh my gosh. There are, how do you pick? I was not obviously prepared for this question. Um, It can be like hard one. It's really anything. Yeah. I'm not a voracious reader. um, uh, But I, but there are some things that I've read that I kind of mm, like Jodi Picoult. Mm -hmm. She's an author. Okay. She, my brother recommended, I mean, I would say her audience is mostly women, but her brother read a book, 19 minutes, which was about the a school shooting kind of like a, this is a long, long time ago. And he, and I'm not giving anything away. That's literally in the first chapter of the book. So okay. you, you can go read it, but um, it is like, she's a very easy read. It's not, it's, it's, I really enjoyed that because it's, it's not something deep, heavy, but yet every one of her books takes a topic, somewhat controversial topic in, in, in today's day and age. And it has characters, different chapters or from different perspectives of different people. And so you may not agree with a perspective, but you at least are, are being privy to different perspectives of the, of a topic. And I really find it fascinating how she does that and how she does it really, really well, in my opinion. Well, thank you for that. And um, thank you for being here today. And if anyone wants to find your work, um, read your book, find, you know, follow you, where can they do that? Yeah. Well, they can just, well, they can follow me or the website is just heathermoist.com. Um, and same with my Instagram and, and Facebook. It's just at Heather Moise, M-O-Y-S-E. Um, the book is called Redefining Realistic. And that's, you can find that on my website actually. And you can order their hardcovers, um, big 300 page hardcovers or it's audiobook um, or soft cover can, you can get on Amazon. So yeah, it's pretty, it's been pretty, really, it's been pretty great actually. Very rewarding, especially when I get feedback back from people. So anything, I'm, I'm pretty accessible. Awesome. Thank you again so much for being here today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This has been amazing. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. 
subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch via our website, www.courageouswellness.net, where you can also find additional info about our health coaching services, virtual group events, newsletter, and more. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness.